Shock the System. Welcome to Dank Discussions with me, Calican CEO Maynard Breslow. In each episode, you'll learn from the trailblazers, leaders, entrepreneurs, and influencers in the ever-moving, ever-growing cannabis industry. Hey everybody, welcome to Dank Discussions. Today we're joined by Mergers and Acquisition Advisor and Cannabis Executive Galen Williams. Thanks for joining us today, Galen. Good morning or good afternoon. Yeah, exactly. We're, uh, we're across the world. Uh, yes, sir. I'm over here in now dark Tel Aviv and uh, let our listeners know where you're based out of today. I'm in, uh, I'm in Southern California, an undisclosed quarantine location in Southern California. Yeah, exactly. Area. We don't want to let everybody. <laughs> it's so funny we're talking off there about the last dance, right? And about I haven't I haven't seen it yet, but that's uh, you know after Tiger King, this is the next thing that that everybody's been on. But a whole different motivation, whole different uh, obviously story, and fascinating obviously with Michael Jordan. But you were talking about that uh, that was his whole thing, right? He's like, I'm going to do uh, interviews from not from my house and not from here. So uh, right, so- right, yeah, just. Uh- it wasn't on the video. I, was, I assumed it was in his house, but I was reading about it, you know, probably like a lot of people. And I found out that, yes, he wouldn't allow interviews at his home or on his private jet. I don't have the jet yet, but yes, this interview is at a friend's yeah. location, just like Michael Jordan. Take Sweet. what you want from that. Keyword, yet. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's the whole thing, right? I mean, he, he, he's, uh, he's very particular about, obviously, his image and, and all the greats are in so many ways. Um, yes, right. And, uh, you know, I guess he even agreed to this after... Uh, after the Cavaliers, I heard after the Cavaliers won their last championship and people mm-hmm. started talking about is LeBron as good as MJ, he was like, all right, baby, release it. Let's do uh, right, this. Right, right, right. You know, exactly. Like, we got to get this. We got to get this out of everybody's thoughts. That's, you know. He's still competitive about his legacy, but, oh, but yeah. uh, yes, at that level, privacy is, is key. So I totally yeah. understand and, and that we were talking about where you were raised up and yeah. uh, an area I'm familiar with. And yeah, when you... When you've been in the public spotlight, you want privacy. So I can understand why he would want to interview elsewhere. But anyway. 100%, 100%. We can sit here and talk sports all day, but, you know, we're here to talk about cannabis. So, you know, a few things we want to touch on today is obviously, you know, um, your story. You have, you have a great story. You have extensive uh, background, not only in, in this industry, but in business in general um, and experience. And uh, really excited to hear about that. But also, you know, talking about diversity in, uh, in the cannabis space from the bottom all the way up. Um, what we're missing there, and uh, and also, um, you know, talking about what what kind of we're missing here. You know, being able to talk about uh, different companies. Uh, it's not per se specifically, but you know, bigger, broader topics that uh, that we see facing in the industry and that we're not always able to address. So we're gonna be able to address some very cool topics today. Um, awesome, great. But uh, but you know, let's start off with yourself. You know, and like I said, you have a lot of great experience. Been here in the industry for a while now. And, um, but I'd love to hear from you, you know, what is sure, the, sure. your story? Uh, I'll give the high overview. And if you, if we want more details, I guess we'll, we'll dive in as time permits. But I guess the high overview is I was raised up in a family business. It, I consider it my first startup. Uh, there was no term called startups then, nor was there a term for entrepreneurship. Then it was just your dad's got a business. And if your dad's working, you got a business. Uh, every, the kids are employed by default. Mm-hmm. And poorly paid, I might add. Poorly paid, but uh, labor. You know, my dad, <laughs> same thing. My dad used to say, "When you have kids, you do the same thing to them." You know. So. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> when I would act out in, at school or what, uh, my dad would say, "Look, it, you could act right in school, or you can get in this truck with me." You know, he yep. had his own little company truck or whatnot. So, but uh, so in all due seriousness, raised up in a family business, I didn't know any other way. It was my first startup, so I know about the the. Uh, you know, doing demos. I was in a, my dad had a janitorial supply company. So instead of a software demo or a product demo, you would go to a grocery store, spend all night putting on your, you know, high end wax, which using your high end floor machines to demonstrate that you had this great product. So that was my first uh, uh, product demos or, or samples was being in a grocery store all night with uh, uh, high polymer floor wax. That's my start, my first startup. Uh, did very well for a while. But uh, uh, like a lot of uh, good stories, there's tragedy. So my dad had a business partner that was diagnosed with colon cancer. Uh, from diagnosis to his uh, transition was uh, about 24 months, almost to the week, I believe, if I recall correctly. And that had a significant impact on me personally, uh, my family. 
uh, our friends. We employed, my dad employed friends, family from the, the local church, the community. It was devastating. It really was. Uh, and I'm, I know that that was one of the reasons why I wanted to study business. Oh. I, was, I was young enough for it to be very impressionable and, impressionable and impactful on me. Um, or rather, I was old enough to understand what was going on, but too young to really do anything about it. So I said, you know, I'm going to go to business school so that I can just mitigate maybe some of these risks that I that have become very apparent post my uh, dad's experience. So I went to DePaul University, which at the time had one of the few entrepreneurship uh, programs in the country. Uh, it was like a top 10 part-time MBA uh, in entrepreneurship. And I got an undergrad there studying under the professor that started entrepreneurship for family businesses in Chicago. So always had an interest in entrepreneurship and startups. And post-graduation, I worked in business development ended up going back to, to school for my MBA at the University of Chicago, where I uh, founded uh, the city's uh, largest uh, angel group, Hyde Park Angels, uh, which is still in existence today. Uh, got a reputation for startups, uh, worked with an angel investor for a, uh, a uh, startup for an indoor farm called Sky Greens. Uh, I was working at Morgan Stanley at the time as a wealth manager, uh, traded my Brooks Brothers uh, shirts for flannels and uh, uh, rubber boots. And I uh, learned to grow greens. And then we obviously uh, pivoted to cannabis when the laws changed. And since about 2013, 2014, I've been working in the legal cannabis space, uh, which uh, required me to move out to California most recently for a role, a C-level role uh, in the cannabis industry. So since about 2014, I've been in the cannabis space, Colorado, West Coast, advising, consulting, and working on behalf of investors to, uh, to maximize their cannabis investment. Amazing. Yeah, and, uh, you know, uh, we talk about cannabis and, and, you know, obviously we're passionate about cannabis, but, you know, speaking there from the beginning, what you're speaking about was, you know, back then, uh, you know, owning a business wasn't so sexy, right? I mean, uh, I come from, I always talk about my generation, saw that kind of transition from, you know, uh, having normal phones, rotary phones, and then finally get a uh, you know, wireless phone and you get a voicemail. And then my dad had one of the car phones and then, you know, the pagers and the, and, this, and now all of a sudden all the kids, they just have, you know, they have the iPhone yes. in their hand. So I saw this, yes. I saw that transition and you're talking about this. You saw another kind of transition there where it was like, you know, you're hard at work. My dad owns a business, you know, there's not really that much sexy about it. Right. And now it's become a thing where, you know, entrepreneurship startups, it's become a whole thing in and of itself that I think, um, you know, is, amazing to live in and then you also see something that people uh make it something maybe that it isn't or or people get lost in in that kind of uh culture or i guess um you know the trying to look as hype of it all and trying to look a certain way can you talk about that like kind of that transition is sure. that, was that kind of your experience as well that you saw like kind of happen I, I don't think I've heard it uh, communicated that way, but what you're saying, I think is spot on. So right now it's, it's cool and trendy and that's okay to be entrepreneurship. I think in some ways we all need to out of necessity, especially with uh, COVID and, the, and because of the global economy that when, uh, as they say, if China sneezes, America gets a cold. Yeah. So I think it behooves everybody to have an entrepreneurial mindset, uh, whether you work for a large company or on your own, have your own business. I mean, you know, every Uber driver has two or three side hustles. Yeah, and in right. LA, everybody has three or four side yeah. hustles. Yeah. So I think it's a necessity, but yes, there's also kind of a, it's cool now. Um, I think uh, my experience in being an entrepreneur is entrepreneurship is, a, is kind of accidental, but it was purposeful. So in some ways I kind of think that the world is kind of caught up to what, as you described, uh, in my experience, we were just did out of necessity. You know, my, my dad was just, it wasn't cool. Uh, uh -huh. You were self-employed. All his friends were self-employed. They had print shops. They had painting uh, companies. They had landscaping company. Very blue collar, but they could take care of their families uh -huh. in those days if your business was, was decent, decent size. So I didn't know any other way. If anything, uh, the rich kids, so to speak, quote unquote, wealthy ones, you know, their parents worked for companies or corporations and, or they had much larger businesses. So I didn't know any other way. And then, yeah, fast forward, it's called entrepreneurship. There's some research behind it. You get professors and schools actually teaching it as a discipline. Uh -huh. And then it became more acceptable. So I don't complain that it's cool now. Uh, I think it's a good mindset to have. Um, but yes, there are those that are 
uh, got the cell phones and just grew up with them and don't don't realize that you know that is a sign of wealth that is a sign of success but you know if you're 10 years old and you got a cell phone it's not a big deal i remember when my dad got his first computers in the office um it was two computers i think one for the accountant and one for the inventory person it was two computers and it was going to be a twenty thousand dollar install it was a big deal going to wow. take a week twenty thousand dollars for two pcs wow. what year was that <laughs> i'm afraid to say uh, late 80s <laughs> okay late okay. 80s man that's bad, yeah that's bad. My dad, the janitorial business was going high tech, two computers, 20 grand and like a, a week and a half implementation. It was a joke. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, now you just you're I'm certain that our cell phone had uh, 20 times the power of those two computers. Oh, man, it's so funny. I mean, and I love that, too. You know, I, I'm grateful. I'm so grateful for for that, you know, that transition, because I grew up in, in the same kind of way in the sense that, you know, my dad owning stores, owning different businesses. And being me able to see him and being able to to be that sponge and me, him taking me with him to the corporate meetings, yes, you yes, know, to yes, you know, I, me working the cashier and then me me going to the corporate meetings and seeing two grown men yelling at each other, screaming at each other, and then afterwards that, just like, go yes. have a beer, baby. You want a scotch? You know, whatever else it is, you know, and yes. it's business. What's the problem? You know, and seeing okay, cool. It's the way it is. It's not personal. Okay, you know, and uh, you get to learn those kind of ropes like that. That I that was, I mean, I went through, I went through a lot of schooling, but that my base was solid because I was the same way. I saw my dad interact with customers, and then or, or potential clients, etc. Mm -hmm. And then afterwards, he would deconstruct it for me. He says, "Okay, with that guy, that's that, you know, you said he would compliment me or criticize me about if I talk too much or said too much because mm -hmm. inevitably they want to know why is this kid hanging around, right? They yeah, start yeah. talking to me." And sometimes, you know, they're trying to get information about what's going on. And I knew mm -hmm. at an early age, mirror my dad and what was said or not unsaid because this is business. So I wouldn't trade that for anything. And my mom, we had a, uh, we always had a business line in the house. So we had two lines, which is really high tech, you know, to have two lines in the house. Yeah, at the yeah. time. And one was the professional line and my mom would answer it. And, you know, Gerald's uh, janitorial service, when he had a janitorial company, then it became Gerald's, uh, you know, janitorial supplier or whatever, my dad. And uh, so she was, she was the front office, man, until uh, we got a real office. <laughs> so I watched her and she would help with their books and she did the invoices. Um, so yeah, I, I wouldn't trade that for anything. It, it gives you an appreciation. And now that I'm on the other side of it, you know, working on behalf of companies or within companies, it does, uh, as I'm sure with you, uh, when you're going in, especially a company with transition or they're having problems, you realize, wait a minute, these are families behind this person at the desk or behind every employee. You know, it could be children, family, um, and your decisions impacts them. So uh, I, I see it as a, in leadership with any kind of business, that it's, it's a responsibility to be taken seriously uh, because lives are, can be impacted positively or negatively based on what you're doing. Yeah, and, and uh, like I said, invaluable uh, upbringing, valuable um, experiences. But you also have that experience, like we were saying, of being a business owner and, you know, being the C-suite, right? Um, can you talk about the difference with that? And not only that, but how, what's in between the C-suite and, and is there a difference in any other industry and in the cannabis industry um, that you've seen uh, with that as well? So uh, you mean, is there a difference between being in the C-suite versus being a company owner? No, yeah, I mean, that, not, not so much that, like being, you know, being the CEO of a, uh, you know, a medical technology company and being the CEO of a cannabis company you know technology or research company um are there differences in that just in general is it just kind of like you know business as usual stuff that you can uh, got you know, certain things got that it. you can apply in different things and certain things are like this is not the way I, it would have been got it another got it um I, I would i would answer that with a qualifier i would add that is a different level of complexity with the mm -hmm. cannabis businesses because it's an industry that's still starting and still growing and trying to figure themselves out mm -hmm. so i would say yes the fundamentals of business are the fundamentals. I, I would say 80-20. They call it what the Pareto, Pareto uh, principle. Mm -hmm. You know, 80% is kind of similar. You know, you have, you have uh, executive leadership, you have management, you have finance, accounting, marketing, etc. You know, the, regardless of what the industry may be. Yeah. And then the 20% is what makes it unique to this industry or this company. So for us, we say, okay, the, the unique part is we're in cannabis. But cannabis is very unique to tobacco or alcohol in that it's regulated. Mm -hmm. So there's some overlap there. I think what makes cannabis way more unique is that one, we're coming from an area sort of like alcohol back in the 30s, where it has been associated with a lot of stigma. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I also think it's unique that the stigma has also been associated with people of, of color and minorities, yeah. which oh, yeah. I think we'll probably get into later. Um, and thirdly, like any new industry, and this is where it's an overlap with Silicon Valley or technology or any startup, is that you have all these people in a similar industry that really don't have a legal, uh, a large affinity group, meaning that we don't have players uh, in the industry that have been in the business for 20, 15, 20, 30 legal years. Yeah, legal. exactly. Uh, traditional um, marketing, we call it. You traditional know? marketing. Yeah, an operation. So yeah. that creates, it's a different environment when you're trying to, because ultimately for this industry to grow, as a company to grow, you have to venture with people. You have to partner with others. And because everyone is kind of unknown and some are coming out of the shadows and some are coming from other industries, it makes for strange bedfellows at times. Sometimes it works, but a lot of times when it's new, there's a lot of chaos. There's people that you really don't want to play with or uh, protocols and, and standards haven't been set up yet. Who figures them out? Who, who do you listen to when they suggest a particular industry standard? So all of that I think is, uh, makes you cannabis a little bit more unique. Our regulations are new. It's been illegal, stigmas, uh, the people representing the industry don't nece- haven't necessarily represented the industry in the past. Not a mm-hmm. bad thing, it's just what is. Mm-hmm. So we do have some very unique, uh, I think, uh, uh, challenges and opportunities within cannabis for sure. Yeah, and, you know, and I think you mentioned something there is, you know, the, the two different worlds combining, right? Where these, here's these, you know, old heads, whatever, you know, who've been <laughs> in, the, in the industry, you know, growing for 30, 40 years. And they know how to keep a low profile and how to just go yes. about their business. And they're yes. not into, you know, uh, SOPs and marketing and everything. Like, you know, it's like <laughs> not at all, you know, and, um, <laughs> you know, they're like, hell no, you know, you're, you're lucky, you know, my name, you're lucky, you know, anything else like that. You know, if you got a picture, that's of right. me, you know, that's, uh, I must be really close if you got a picture of me, you know, because no picture of me. Right. You know, and right. sometimes you have people coming in who have all the good funding and they, they come in, well, there's a great market opportunity, you know, um, and, and they come with that kind of thing. And now we both, we all have to play together in a new legal framework that hasn't been set up for, for long at all. Um, and we're still trying to feel through the dark as well. And we, you know, something may be one way one week and the next week it's something else. And we, yes. you know, it's when we have a lot of, put, put out a lot of fires and, you know, like you said, the personality types are very different. Um, you know, is that's, that's something you see playing a role as well in, in what's going on you mentioned? I'd, I'd, like, I'd like to think I'm playing a role in smoothing that transition. I mean, I, I personally had to adjust myself because of just the, the, the different, uh, uh, how will we say, the different players in the industry. Mm-hmm. So I spent a lot of time, uh, until recently, I spent a lot of time in Chicago and I would just kind of come back and forth to the West mm-hmm. Coast. Um, uh, I'd fly back and forth to, to Colorado, Washington, Oregon, the legal states, primarily California. And I recall the first uh, few times I was going to Colorado because it was the first adult use state, of course. And uh, I I couldn't get into dispensaries. I would show up uh, to meet somebody and uh, people thought I was uh, I was I was the feds. Um, I remember one in particular. it didn't you help didn't that the I was vibe? Wearing, you didn't have the vibe? I, like, I was looking too corporate, man. Yeah. I was coming in. I had, you know, I'm, I'm coming from the Midwest. So I had slacks on, a dress shirt. I do wear uh, Ray-Ban aviators, which is G-Man standard issue, right? I just happened to wear aviators. So I show up one day. It was on 420. It was on 420. I knew the owner. And he says, hey, go by my shop. I'm going to hook you up. All right? So I, this is several years ago. So I go to the shop. I show up in an SUV because... You know, that's what I was driving at the time. So think about it. I'm looking at a big black. Uh, you can't look <laughs> you know, in the suit coming in like with aviators. Yeah, with, with aviators. I'm coming in a uh, I'm coming in a big Denali, you uh, know, SUV and I'm wearing slacks and a shirt looking like club fed uh, and yeah. the security steps out with his uh, automatic at the time. Uh, because it was 420, so they had a lot of traffic, so they had extra security. And man, he looked at me like I was a G-man for yeah. sure. And then yeah. I, when I got to LA, I couldn't get into certain dispensaries. The spotters would call the owners, like, "Who is this guy? You know, we don't we don't recognize him." So I learned to kind of dress. When I say dress down, I don't mean to sound condescending, but get rid of the get rid of the dress shirt, man. I just yeah. got rid of it. So when I would visit a company or I was working on their behalf, I would say, "Give me your give me your company swag." because I want to uh, swag rather and I want your cap I want your shirt yeah <laughs> I left the dress shoes at home part of the team 
and then I could walk in and I could have conversations with the uh, dispensary owners or growers. But before that, yeah, it was, and, uh, the irony was not lost on me that here I'm in middle age, a man of color, and people are thinking that I'm 5-0. That was Yeah, funny. right? That's funny, man. That's funny. You know, it's like, excuse me, sir, can I please get some of your finest marijuana, please? How much pots can I buy with $25, you know? <laughs> exactly. I, I probably was looking pretty great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, looking pretty square. But, but in answer to your question, yeah, that's when you're going to people, yeah, the old heads, the OGs, been growing for years, they're, they, they had a right to be suspicious. Mm -hmm. And I credit some of them trying to come over into the legal side. But that's a big transition for them. Mm -hmm. And then you have guys like me that see this as, partially not completely but the guys like me that see it like okay here's a new industry a new market and i can utilize my expertise and my network to you know provide funding and and acumen to a new industry so that's one crowd and then you have another crowd that sees it as just uh you know it's just a pure opportunity they're coming from consumer products or they're high finance so you have all these groups that are kind of getting thrown together because of yeah. this uh a, a law changes and it's uh it's a work in progress 100%. It is, you know, growing industry doesn't have that much history. And you know, I want to talk about the diversity issue. There's so much to talk about there. But before we transition to that, you know, you, you mentioned there about, you know, people coming in, you know, with the funding and, and everything like that. And you see in the industry, there's a lot of companies coming in that they have all the funding, they have all the business fundamentals, they have everything look like it's set up, they have their dispensaries all across the, all across the country or, or anything else, any kind of distribution huge companies um, and then they don't make it right. Or you see, you know, they're making the news for all the wrong reasons, you know, yes. and, uh, yes. and what do you yes. think that, what do you think's behind that? You know, I mean, they have everything. Yeah. Is it just, uh, you know, I, I'll just let you answer that. What, what's the reason behind that? Um, it's not a, it's not a, a, a silver bullet answer on that one. It's a couple of things, but I think mm. I can narrow it down to two. One is that, uh, uh, I hope it's obvious that just having a lot of money doesn't mean you're going to be successful. Uh -huh. It really doesn't. Um, the corollary to that is you, if you look at Silicon Valley, which has always been kind of my model for the past 20 years, I know people that live there, work there, and, and, and I keep track of their, their uh, business modeling innovations, because it is. They're innovative in a business model. Uh -huh. And what you'll see there, and I think they're, they're spot on, is that the last thing you do, even if it's a great idea, you've got a great team, you just don't give them too much money. Because what will you do? You'll spend it versus you'll throw money at it versus addressing the problem yeah. mentally or or with a market focus. So too much money. I think what we're seeing in cannabis is too much money or having a lot of money all at once. That, that's not going to mean you're, mm -hmm. you have an advantage. Mm -hmm. uh, two is on the operation side. I actually think operations are quite lacking in this industry. Mm. Uh, I, I don't think the industry lacks for smart people are people that were experienced elsewhere and maybe had success elsewhere. But that doesn't mean a thing in cannabis because in cannabis, you're dealing with regulations um, that change after you get the job or the role. <laughs> Labeling, state-wise, uh, federal changes, you know, from the executive suite on down as, as, is, as to if, you know, we have the confidence to operate in a manner uh, knowing that it's going to be national, thinking that it's going to be nationalized at one time. The, the typical business manager or executive does not have to deal with that, uh, with a, the shadowy regulations or being restricted to one state even. I, I think that in itself makes it way more complicated to operate as a successful enterprise. Because in America, obviously, you set up a business, you can do business in Arkansas, Texas, California, wherever you want. Yeah. So if your supplier, you have a critical supplier, and one supplier is based in New York City and another one's based in, in North Dakota, all things being equal, your supplier in North Dakota, it might be less expensive from a shipping standpoint. You don't get that kind of scale in cannabis. You have to stay, everything has to be within the state for the most part, which makes it a more complex business. So I would argue that uh, operations, not because of lack of ability or lack of uh, talent, but that operations are uh, more critical in the cannabis space. Mm -hmm. And it has to be learned on the fly because the regulations are such, state and national, that it, it adds a layer of complexity that, uh, that makes it more difficult for, uh, for a, a team to do well. So you can have a whole lot of money, you can have a great license and a great territory, but uh, the legal, because of the legal uh, idiosyncrasies of this industry and otherwise, and the, and the culture of the people that we, we spoke to uh, a few minutes ago, the different groups that are all getting thrown together 
mm-hmm. it, it makes it way more complex. And I, I think that's the, uh, the smoking gun that if we, if you can solve that, I uh, will see some successful companies uh, come out of that. Wow. Yeah. There's, there's a couple of great points. And, you know, one thing that you, that you mentioned, I never thought of it in that way. And I think, you know, we, everybody in the industry is kind of under a microscope because first of all, we don't have that much of a track record, obviously. And right, you know, right. So historically, there's not much to go off of. Um, but you know, you mentioned there about Silicon Valley and I never really made that connection. It's such a great analogy because, you know, we talk about a well-funded startup and what's the first thing that they get, you know, they get a game room, right? They get the two, <laughs> they get their 2 PM, you know, cocktail hour and yes. the kegerator and the, yes. And the, you know, the, the board games and, you know, everything else that goes along because you want to keep them in there working. You want people yes. happy and not having turnover. You know, you want, right. you know, it's the, the getting the right. You want the best programmers. Well, you're, yeah, fighting you want the best programs. So yep, you're fighting, you're fighting for talent. You're fighting for talent, the best you programmers. Keep them there. Um, yes. You know, but so the burn rate's so high, right? The burn rate is, is so high and everything. But I never really made that connection with cannabis as well that, you know, it's, it's people, they're trying to compete and, and, uh, and also looking for that talent, I guess. And, um, um, I, I'd like to think so. I'd like to, I, 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 don't, I don't know. Uh, you know, I think you bring up a good point, Maynard. Are, are we, you know, are we, uh, are we really throwing money at a lot of talent? I, I, I don't know. I actually think cannabis, one of the great things about cannabis is you actually do have a lot of people that want to be in it. Yeah. So I don't think it lacks for people to get in that are rather, it doesn't, you don't lack for people that are interested in the industry. Now, are they the people that you need at this time in leadership? I think it, I think there might be a little bit tougher. And I think we're seeing that. I think we're seeing, you know, some of it is typical transitions from an early industry, from the founders to the, you know, professional management class, quote unquote, and that could be good or bad. But uh, I do think that maybe some of the people that are needed in cannabis are frankly just not ready for it yet because they are concerned about the stigma. Um, And those that have lots of experience don't necessarily want to trade that in for the for the hassles that you have in this cannabis space. So I think there's some on the sidelines kind of doing a wait and see, mm. but uh, as you well know, the industry's growing, the demand is growing. You need people in this space. So do you go with people that maybe are not as experienced or do you wait or do you try to spend more money with people that you know can that has a, have a higher uh, probability of being successful? Uh, I don't think there's a, a right or wrong answer to that, but to the extent that you're just dealing with people that just want to be in the game, want to be in the industry but they don't necessarily have the the acumen that you could get if you were just a traditional uh i don't know motor parts company then i think that requires stronger leadership because then guess what you're leading and you're training you're coaching which any good leader should do anyway but i think there's a much a greater need in the cannabis space to really uh train mentor coach people in their roles because uh guess what uh, no one was doing this legally five, six, seven, eight, ten 10 years ago. Yeah. And the ones that could easily transition from another industry into this and, and really help it take off, they're probably not ready yet. They're mm-hmm. probably still like, now nah, I'm just going to mm-hmm. stay where I am and let's mm-hmm. wait until it goes uh, federally legal, nationalized, and then maybe I'll come in. Well, I hope by that time that we have a lot more uh, uh, leaders and, and people in the industry that have the experience and have grown into their roles that we can just tell those people, well, you know what, you just got to stay over there. We got this. <laughs> yeah, no, we'll exa- see. yeah, exactly. We'll see. And uh, yeah, you know, you mentioned too, you know, what, what the passion that's behind cannabis that people want to get into it. You mentioned, you know, motor parts. Maybe people aren't so passionate about motor parts, but maybe some people are, right? But, uh, you know, talk about the regulations that, you know, you compare to, you know, uh, alcohol, tobacco, you know, cannabis because of the regulations, everything goes on like that. But, yes. you know, even the passion that goes towards, you know, tobacco is not the same as, as cannabis people just love Correct. it this is just like you know people have been fighting for this for a long time um but then you know you mentioned you know transitioning there you know about how trying to get the right talent and and are they the right talent and the leadership and what you see in in, in cannabis and you know there's some people have been doing studies on it recently is the amount of turnover that goes on in mm. the industry from the bottom on up you know from your bud tender you know, all the way up to the C-suite, you know, how, how much yes. the, the turnover really is. Uh, is that something that you see in other industries or, you know, is that something that, that coincides with something you've brought up already or is that another issue? Um, I do think, I, I think the turnover that you're seeing uh, were a lot of companies that were flush with cash, Canadian cash, uh, you know, mm-hmm. the Canadian IPO market yeah. was 
uh, not last summer, the summer before. Uh-huh. A lot of them went IPO. They had cash. They were using that cash from the public markets to invest in uh, the United States and in California in particular. So um, I think that provided much needed liquidity or cash for the industry. I think a lot of that money was blown on, I, let, me, let me put it this way. I, I think some of that money was uh, not necessarily utilized in the best way. Um, so I think that's unique to cannabis, that we just had a flush of cash. You can't go to a traditional bank, so what do you do? You overspend, you overbuild. Mm. Okay. And now we're having layoffs because it, it, it just, things weren't done right. Uh-huh. That being said, any industry, and this is where cannabis is just, you remember I was talking about the 80-20, here's the 80%. Yeah. Every industry, especially when they're starting off, they kind of move and fits and starts. They make a lot of progress, there's a retraction, they move forward, there's a retraction because we haven't, don't have it figured out yet. So I think some of the layoffs, some of the transition is expected, but I do think it's been exasperated or exasperated by uh, the influx of, uh, uh, of cash via the Canadian markets. And, and now we have, uh, uh, you know, we had our vape crisis, what could have happened anytime last mm-hmm. fall. And now we're at a time of COVID where mm-hmm. it's reconstructing our business model. So in answer to your question, I think it's a little bit of both. I think some of it is unique to cannabis that because of our high turnover, because of the way the, the money was spent and a lot of the people that received that money uh, just didn't have the experience that was needed with the idiosyncrasies of cannabis. But some of it is just, it's just the nature of business. You know, we're all trying to figure it out. So you grow and then you retract. Yeah. Grow again, retract. And we say that a lot, you know, you mentioned the vape and obviously, you know, COVID and you see the influx of, in the industry everywhere, right? From growing, you know, you, they have to cap all the applications, everything, you know, dispensaries and, you know, talk about LA, how most of the dispensaries are, are black market and, you know, and how yes. people can't, uh, weren't able to even operate beforehand, let alone with, with Corona, you know, coming in and, uh, you know, at least, I guess it was uh, deemed essential business, which we'll get into as well in another topic, you know, but, um, you know, so it's kind of correcting the market a little bit in a lot of ways. Um, where you say people, people are not able to, uh, to stick around any longer, providing opportunity for others who are able to, to pivot and transition and, and adapt. Um, but, but yeah, you know, but, but something else is, uh, and this is what I you know, really want to talk about as well, I guess, you know, it's not, I'm not going to drop any knowledge. Everybody here on the podcast, you know, we're, we're passionate about the cannabis industry. Um, it's not unique or, or you know, it's, it's not brand new to know that cannabis inherently um, you know, started off, uh, you know, with the war on drugs, you know, a racist system, you know, uh, perpetuated against uh, certain types of people and even going all the way back to prohibition, you know, aside yes. from, the, you know, the fact that, you know, uh, it was hemp and cannabis, everything is, uh, was threatening big businesses in a lot of different ways, right? The textile companies, the, the lumber companies, um, but it was associated then at that point you know, how are they stigmatized? We talk about the stigma was with race. Yes. You know? And, and uh, you know, marijuana, Primarily, yeah. marijuana yes. even that term, you know, and, uh, you know, and, uh, and the stigma all across, even up to now, you know, the, the D.A.R.E. program, you know, from a decade or two ago and, uh, and everything else. And, but we see as well in practice that we talk about essential business and then there's people sitting in jail Right, and we talk about the war on drugs, and we talk about how people are coming into the business uh, who didn't really, you know, participate in fighting for it, and now they're coming with the money while people are sitting in jail. Yes, about it, yes, you know? yes, 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 you know? yes. Yeah. Um, you know, what's what's your view on that, and you know, kind of what can we do about that from from the top on down? Uh, I'll start with the last part. What can we do? I know there's some great policy groups that are that are working on that in D.C. on a macro level and locally. Um, and I applaud their efforts. Uh, personally, I, I would like to see more on the on the private side, just from the, mm-hmm. the, the C-suite and, yeah. and the companies. Um, there, there's one thing to have a lobbying group. Um, I, I don't think the lobbying group reflects everyone uh, as well as it can. Uh, I think they're trying, but uh, I, I think that's a, another detailed subject. And I again, I applaud their efforts, but I think individual companies have to bear that responsibility at the executive level. Um, it is cannabis has been a, yeah, even the term marijuana, as you've pointed out, has been, uh, overwhelmingly the, the growth of this industry, uh, 
before prior to legalization has been born on the backs of uh, people of color, brown and black people, and they're still in jail, still in prison. And the ones that get out uh, can't even properly uh, apply for a license now that it's legalized, unfortunately, because they had a prior. It's Jim Crow all over again. Yeah. You know, when the, back in the 60s, when, they, when people of color finally got rights to vote, and it was ruled uh, uh, unconstitutional to not allow people in the South to, to vote, you know what they did? They created tests and said, okay, well, if you own property, if you own land in this county, then you can vote. Or if you pass a literacy test, now you can vote. Well, of course, you're the bottom of the barrel. You didn't own land, so that would disqualify you. You weren't particularly educated because you had to go to terrible schools, and that would DQ you. Um, and this is happening at a state level. Well, if you got a felony, if you did trafficking, you blah, 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 you can't get into it. So what does it leave? Legally, it, it keeps a lot of people out of the industry. Yeah. So that, that is well known. Um, but it's not just people of color. I mean, it's, it's, and this is when we, we talk about the different uh, groups in cannabis that now have to play together. You know, some of, a lot of them are not, the, some of the growers in North Cal, they're not uh, brown or, or, or black. Uh-huh. But they operated in the shadows for their various reasons. And uh, I'll never forget the most powerful story. My first dispensary in Colorado, uh, the woman happened to be Caucasian. And when I was visiting her dispensary, she teared up and talking about her brother. because She said he, he was in club fed during federal time. And she said, I could easily have been in his shoes, but I just happened to be a little bit later than him. Uh-huh. So. Yeah. You know, she wasn't brown, she wasn't black, but she was dealing with it as well. We have an incarceration problem in this country, and uh, which is the, really the, the macro issue. We just lock people up too quick. Yeah. Um, and, and so in our industry, un- unfortunately, it's representing, uh, I think, the, the stigmas that, that kind of got us here. You know, 50, 60 years of, uh, of uh, selective uh, laws to, to marginalize, already marginalized groups, and it's reflected in our industry. So I think the... Uh, the responsibility is going to come on a company by company level to no, not just go out and check a box and hire people, women yeah. or LGBT, whatever, or, or, or brown and black. No, not checking a box, but really seek a diversity of opinion, uh, have a diverse social group. And I think that's represented in the companies uh, once you start hiring. I think it's a reflection of leadership. That's what I see. If I see everyone one way, be it all men of color or all women. Or, or anything else. It's a reflection of leadership. If everyone looks the same, thinks the same, and acts the same. No. And that's diversity is just more empowering, period. Uh, it, is, it is, and you know, you share a lot of powerful topics there, you know, talking about the legislation side and you know, the social equity side, um, you know, and a lot of work still needs to be done there. And you know, obviously a lot of issues having to be done with that as well. Uh, like I said, a lot of details that go along with it, but there isn't, you know, we talk about like, um, you know, what, what is missing there? there? There's no reason why we shouldn't see more people of color in the C-suites. There's nothing there stopping. Like you said, it's, it shouldn't be a box, right? You know, like in the NFL, they have to hire the- The, the Rooney rule. The Rooney rule. They have to interview. Oh, the got, Rooney yeah, rule. They have to interview. Yeah, well, they have to interview two, one person of color. I got two, you know, it's, what do you want from me? You know, he didn't get the job when everybody knew who was going to get the job beforehand. So it's like, you know, it's <laughs> slap in the face, right? Well, I tried. Right. Know, right you know that kind of thing so it shouldn't be like i mean it's it's honestly you know it's bullshit in so many ways that that it's still even a topic it shouldn't even be an issue one way or the other right Right. an issue one way or the other you know it's just like it's all culture we all have a different viewpoint and and everything and and it doesn't matter what color person is in general anyways especially in a like we're talking about in, in, in an industry that um, so much money has been made off the backs and off the incarceration and everything else of brown and black people. It's not like we're demanding, hey, now's our time. You have to hire us. It's just a right. matter of, um, you know, look at the numbers. Go to any convention. You will see it for yourself. It's right there, you know. And, um, you know, is that something that just, you know, you're talking about the, from different businesses in your background. Is that something that, once again, is you just see, um, and different types of businesses as well that we need more diversity in general in C-suites or is it something in particular to, to cannabis or maybe there's a different nuanced topic why it's applied in different ones? Um, um, yeah, unfortunately, I don't think it's unique to cannabis. I, yeah. I, think, I, think, the, I, I think you see that everywhere, the C-suite uh, and, the, and, and not just the C-suite, the, the board of directors. They're mm-hmm. just, it's very homogenous across all many industries. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you'll see women 
or people of color, you know, they'll, they'll get a marketing role or they'll get the sales role. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that because they're integral. They're important in our business. But um, I, I think it's across all industries. I think where cannabis is unique is that, again, we already know that the social impact uh, was uh, we were people of color were overrepresented on the penal side yeah. and, and incarceration. And since we know that and now that it's finally legal, I do think cannabis industry and cannabis leaders should, uh, if they really respect their history and respect the time, this wonderful time that we are in the legal cannabis space, that they would make an extra effort to bring everybody to the table. But that's still depending on somebody else. If you're somebody in that underrepresented group and you're trying to get in, you're kind of dependent on someone else to bring you in. And, but here's the beautiful thing about entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship's open to everybody. Uh -huh. and, and, that's, and I was fortunate enough to happen to already be interested in it and to study it academically for my own personal reasons. And then the world kind of caught up to, hey, this entrepreneurship thing's kind of pretty cool. So I don't want to sound like I, was, I, I, I foresaw all of this 20 years ago. But where we are right now is that entrepreneurship is a discipline. It's easier to become an entrepreneur and start a company with technology that you mentioned. You know, everybody has a cell phone. You can, you can get apps for everything and any ancillary service you require. So I think this is a great time uh, to promote, encourage entrepreneurs uh, and people that have that mindset and either hire them or to do business with them. So uh, that's why, frankly, you know, to this day, I just give a lot of my time, not a lot, but uh, if it, if it fits within my wheelhouse and I have the time for it, I'll talk to people that have an idea or a business plan or seeking capital, et cetera. Mm -hmm. uh, because ultimately you get one or two successful companies, be it a woman, minority, uh, whatever they look, whatever their factor is, they become successful. There's going to be a lot more people just like them. You know, we were talking about Michael Jordan at the beginning, you know, kind of just uh, warming up, talking about the last dance. Who in, in the 1984 or 1985 would think that a basketball shoe, um, that kids would be buying them and lining up for them to pay $200 for them, he would become a billionaire yeah. over a basketball shoe or even the basketball game. What did it take? It took one person to be very, to be excellent. And then it creates a whole cottage industry yeah. and, and a bunch of people. So I think if we, whatever group that's underrepresented right now, once they have success as a company or as a leader, that that, that will spawn many others. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, ultimately, the responsibility comes to us individually. Do we want to look like everybody else, be like everybody else? Mm -hmm. Or do we, we want to make the world a little bit better? And the way you make it better is to be the best that you can be. And uh, guess what? There'll be a lot of people that'll follow. So that's what I try to do. I try to encourage entrepreneurship. Obviously, I try to uh, better myself in every opportunity that I have. Uh, there's something to be learned from it. And uh, hopefully uh, more of us will, will take on that task and that personal responsibility and make it an industry that really reflects our core and who we really are. And I love that point. Should because, be. Yeah, no, I love that point because, you know, obviously we do need, we do need to have help, you know, and, and we do need to kind of force the issue a little bit. Like you said, some of it does fall on our shoulders. A lot of it falls on our shoulders. You know, for me, I'm personally not looking for help. You know, I don't look at myself as any better, or any worse than anybody else. I'm just a Maynard and, uh, you know, <laughs> I, put my, I put my head down and work as hard as I can and build relationships and, uh, you know, deliver and, and do as good of a job as a service and as a company as we can do. And, uh, and it seems to work out for us in, in that regard, you know. And so I, I appreciate that as well, you know, talking about how, you know, Michael Jordan with his shoes and, you know, look at what LeBron has taken that to a next level, you know, whereas... MJ wanted to do the business. He didn't want to be the, you know, political and going in there and social stuff. He was like, Hey man, that's true. He did. He did. Possible. You yeah, know, he did. And LeBron's taking it to the next level. And, um, and he, he opened that trail for him, you know, and then we talked about other areas, you know, with, with Dre and Dre beats, you know, and how, you know, it could have been anybody on the route. I think Quincy was, was first offered that. And he's like, Oh man, I turned that down and became beats by Dre. You know, it sounds a little bit different. Yeah. Like yep, Quincy yep. beats by Dre. And now that's how he became a billionaire. And, um, you know, and that's opening up the doors for others, others as well. Um, so I, now is that, you know, obviously the, it's a uh, small sample size and, uh, you know, it's like we said, it's new industry. So not too much history, but in your experience, do you see the trend going that way? I mean, you think in cannabis, we're, we're very progressive people. We have an open mind in general, just to be in the industry. 
Um, you know, is that something you see a trend? Um, is that something that mm. would be a consequence of that kind of mentality? Um, or mm. is it something that, um, you know, you're just kind of seeing stagnant right now or, or still. When you say a trend, you're referring to a trend as far as more uh, diversity and representation? Yeah, more diversity. Okay. Um, unfortunately, no. I don't think mm. I, 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 I don't think it's strong enough to call it a trend. I think there's more coming in, but I think oh. that's just a, a reflection of just more cannabis companies. And each year, cannabis gets a little bit bigger and some more people are underrepresented people are, are showing up. But no, I, I, I frankly think, uh, I think some of the industry leaders could do a lot more. Uh, but I don't, they're not going to change because Galen Williams is sitting out here, you know, talking about it. I think uh, my, my framework is if I'm successful enough, the Galen and the Maynards of the world keep talking and become successful, that there will be others that will gravitate towards us and, and will spawn other industries. But yes, I'm still going to, you know, beat the drum when it's appropriate, but I, I don't know. I don't think it's there yet okay. at all. Uh, I think there's some good groups that, that have, even though they don't have that representation per se, visually, um, that they, they're aware of it and they want to do something different about it. But uh, I, I don't know why it hasn't happened uh, for them, but I know there's some good people that are trying. Um, but I, I do think it comes down, I, it, it becomes, it starts, it starts with leadership, it really does. You know, when I started my first angel network group in grad school, this is uh, 2006, 2007 in Chicago. Uh, the, the, the original two people were myself and someone from Silicon Valley who happened to be Indian. Um, we had a woman of color. We had a staunch Republican conservative who's very vocal out there on the blogs and, and, and very opinionated. Mm -hmm. We had a libertarian, um, pretty much uh, political perspective. And we had someone that was kind of politically agnostic. Uh, what I'm saying is we had a diverse group of people. Um, I was kind of the first one, you know, I was the first executive director of that group. But that group was a reflection, I'd like to think of me a little bit. And we didn't look the same. We didn't think the same, and politically we were not the same. But when we started off, we, we had a few boxes checked, quote unquote. So, and, and it was very, it was natural. I didn't seek out to say, okay, I gotta have a woman here. I gotta mm. have a woman of color. Yeah. All right, I got two boxes checked. Yeah. No, she was interested in entrepreneurship. She had a great corporate background and she, you know what? She asked, that's what she did. Mm. Her name is Sharon, she's my classmate. Shout out, what's up Sharon? I won't put out your last name. Uh, but she asked to be part of it. And I said, yeah, I just said yes. You know, she wanted to be part of the group and that's how she got in. So there is personal responsibility to, yeah. to, to, to get into these groups. But I also think the leadership has to just be open. And if you're only hanging out with the same three people that you played golf with, surfed with, or go to shows with, and, and you only want, you can, without diligence, without thinking about it you can easily have a company that is just like you and your three friends yeah. and you could be the best person ever yeah so I, th I think we have to in summary i think leadership has to uh if if it's not a natural predisposition you have to get out of your comfort zone and seek it or if it's your natural disposition like i like to think that it was for me it'll happen because you're in a leadership role and then there's personal responsibility individually the galens and the maynards of the world to go out there and just try to make it happen and ask for it, ask for a yeah. seat at the table and earn it. hundred percent, hundred percent. And I, I love that. You know, like I said, I love that because uh, we can't control the people. Like you said, us talking about it, maybe it's putting out something in the universe. The vibration is changing. I'm putting you know, it out. Definitely. Yeah, exactly. Put it out, man. We can't control <laughs> other people's viewpoints. Um, right. Right. You know, we can't demand them. We, we force people. It just only breeds more resistance. You know, we're finding that but what we can do, like you said, is, um, not only, you know, ask for a place at the table, you know, and, and deliver, but also bring on mentors, you know, mentorship, you know, everything like that and helping people. I think a lot of people don't even know how, how to go about it. Um, very talented people and, and, uh, and everything and having mentors. And like you said, ha having those, those committees, and everything, it's so important to help people, the next generation, like we're talking about, you know, your, your dad, entrepreneurship wasn't the thing. And then here you are entrepreneur school and, and, and it is a thing, right? And, and down the line, you know, the next generation, we're gonna see, you know, God willing, it's gonna be a whole different set of, uh, of people in these positions, you know, in the diversity. Oh, for sure, for sure. It, it will happen, it will happen, absolutely. Just, uh, if we can speed it up, then more power to us. Exactly, exactly. Again, very good. I know that um, you have a lot of things 
you know, I'm not sure what you can disclose, not disclose, but I have exciting stuff coming up. So, you know, what you can share, what do we have in store in the future with Galen Williams? Ooh, what do we have in store, the future? Um, well, some of that is dependent on others. So uh, <laughs> I'll do what, is what I'm responsible for. Um, but I do think, uh, I think COVID has really uh, shown us some positive things about the industry to be excited about. Uh, to be qualified as an essential business when everybody was busting their ass not only four or five years ago just to show that, hey, there's some additional benefits to this. Mm -hmm. To now be considered essential in many states is a big deal. It's a big, yeah. Very big deal. Big win. Uh, because there's so many people that are hurting right now that have lost industries. It's going to take a long time to come back. But yet, we still have people buying cannabis and, and require cannabis. And numbers are up, you know. Since the numbers are up. Yes, yes. So, without going into too many details, I think it's uh, introduced some ancillary, some uh, incremental, uh, not incremental. Uh, I think it's added some potential business model changes uh, because of COVID, because of the way we're doing business, you know, more remote. Uh, that will present some opportunities for the industry that I'm really excited about and I want to participate in. Um, but I, this industry is not going anywhere. I think it, we're showing that we can weather a downturn, uh, but demand is, it's kind of like alcohol has been traditionally, it's inelastic. Mm -hmm. You know, people may buy a cheaper brand, but they don't stop buying. Yeah. So I, I think that's a, I think that's a big indicator for us. And I think that's a, a good, uh, it should give us confidence, those of us in the industry, that it will be around. And so for the talented people that are nervous, you know, you can come over and work in the cannabis industry or and those in the cannabis industry that are really serious about making this a career, making it a difference, uh, uh, alleviating the stigma, uh, uh, maximizing representation uh, for people that have traditionally been uh, kept out of uh, commerce and leadership roles especially too. Uh, I think this is an opportunity for us to really expand our wings and a lot of good companies. I'll go back to Silicon Valley. A lot of the big tech companies that we take for granted now uh, really came into their own during downtimes because it quieted things. The noise yeah. was, was mitigated. Before the vape crisis, before COVID, there was a lot of noise in the industry last summer. Now, unfortunately, some people are falling away. Some people are getting laid off. So there's a recalibration taking place, mm -hmm. but the results should be a much stronger industry, stronger players, stronger operators. And that means there's opportunity for those of us that are serious about this. I, I agree with that 100. percent You know, just, that's a lot of talking to not tell you what I'm really going to do next. But uh, it's all good. You know, by the time I'll this thing comes out, we'll probably be able to uh, have something else going on that we're able to link here. So uh, I'll keep you posted, Maynard. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I punted on that one. I punted on that one a little bit. I tried to, yeah. But uh, no, it's all good, good things. Good things ahead. Good things good. ahead. Good. I'm excited. I'm excited to hear it. And you know, like you said, this industry isn't going anywhere. And uh, Galen Williams in the industry isn't going anywhere either. That's for sure. I don't plan on it. Yeah, exactly. I don't plan on it. And uh, we need more people like you. I love it. It's, it's, it's been an amazing conversation. And, um, you know, before I let you go, obviously, you know, uh, my favorite question, everything, you know, hearing about your story and being able to obviously bring awareness is, is super important, you know, because I think stories are the most important thing, um, you know, in terms of entrepreneurship. But I always want to know from everybody who comes on, and I'm super interested in your uh, answer, how you define success in general, whether it be professionally, Ooh. personally, Ooh. existentially, you know, what does success look like for you? Oh man, we got to roll one, man, and have a couple hours to talk about that. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I'm it's down always... for that. Well, you got to announce it. We'll bring you on to talk about that whole I've... thing, and we'll have another. We're rolling up, and we'll have another discussion. Our, our next call, let's do it like later in the day, like five o'clock or so. It's I still got. I've got a stack of conference calls this afternoon, so sure, we're not going to sure. do it. But next time we'll roll one and we'll talk about it. But uh, it's a good question, man. It's a good question. Um, you know, I, and I'm working on it. I don't have the answer. I'm working on it like everybody else, man, trying to get through this. Uh, as one of my old uh, classmates says, doing hard time on planet Earth, you know, yeah. trying to figure it out. But I do think success for me is a, is, you know, how we talk about the industry being vertically integrated. That's the ideal. Oh, you got the grower, you got distribution, you got the retail, right? I, I, I think success for me is being interpersonally integrated, meaning yeah. that my personal life, is not in conflict with my professional life mm. and and that my interests are not in conflict with my abilities so if i'm inter is there something that i'm really interested in and then i also have an acumen for guess what it becomes fun 
That's you know, it's, it's fun. Yeah. And if my personal life is supporting my professional life and my professional life is echoing my personal life, life is good, man. So, you know, if I'm just, so, you know, my, my, I know that's really abstract, but no, that's why I said good, the perfect, I the perfect. those answers better than, you know, and, and it's great. Everybody has it. That's why I asked because everybody has a different definition. Yeah. Yeah. Really yeah. And it's also it's, fluid, you know, it and, is, uh, it's, it's, and, and no one has it. I mean, I think we're all, and I, and I've seen this recently in all these seriousness. I mean, with the, uh, the COVID crisis, some people are doing better than others and, 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 and it's been tough. It's tough to observe and, and, and tough to see. Um, even us just having this conversation right now, you know, we're, it, it's privilege. It really yeah, is privilege. Um, but it's a, it's a tough thing to balance. It's a challenge for me, like everybody else. So if anyone's seeing this and it looks like I'm living the, uh, the life, quote unquote, you know, everybody's got something to deal with. But uh, yeah, I, I, I want a, a personal life, personal, personal professional life that's integrated and uh, to do something that I love, which I think I'm doing, but actually to excel in it. Uh, it's not work. What is, you know, that old adage where if it's, if you're doing what you love, it's not work. And, uh, I, you know, this is, this is a part of a perfect day to be able to talk about an industry that I'm passionate about, hopefully be a, a promoter to doing better things within the industry. And, uh, the only thing is missing is, uh, you know, getting to the beachfront and watching my kids play on their own, leaving me alone, <laughs> but I want them close, reason. Go but play. I want them close, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you know, just, life on the beach, you know, and uh, have a great family and be around people that you love and, uh, and, and working and professionally and being successful at it, promoting uh, people to become better personally and better professionally, as well as uh, take some money off the table and, and uh, you know, have some, have some fun in life, man. That's, heck, if that ain't success, uh, you know, then uh, maybe I just need to quit right now. But that, that's the ideal. I'm going for it. Oh, that sounds pretty damn good to me, you know, and, uh, and it, also thank you for that. That was such an honest answer too, because I think uh, it does c catch a lot of people off guard and some people just get right into, you know, and, and like I said, everybody is genuine in, in their own way and everybody on here is, is genuine. And so um, good. everybody has different an answer, but you were like, Hey, you know what? I don't know, but you know what? Vertically integrated, you know, I think what you're talking about is integrity, right? Do my values? Yes, yes, match? that's it. Yes, my yes. Values match what I'm doing. Can I wake up in personal the integrity? And yes. Look in the mirror, and, and you know, but I'm I'm excited to be here, and I'm so grateful. You know, we talk about hitting hitting the right time, and you share the story of the woman who whose brother is serving, uh, you know, serving time there, and she's yeah. like, you know, if he would have came afterwards, I'm so grateful we live in this time. You know, we're here in this industry and it's growing and we get to be leaders. We get to be somebody that, yes, you know, it's yes. just so young and it's, you know, to, what's going to be, you know, 2012 in Colorado, what's going to be in another eight years, you know, it's going to be another 20 years, you know, and we're just going to be around God willing. So that's right. Um, it's it's yeah, a privilege. We're, I think, yeah. yes, yeah, we, got, so we, come, yes. we get to not only wake up and love what we do, but it, it's, it's fun, you know, it's fun and, uh, it's, it's such a pleasure. And it's been a pleasure having you on as well again. Likewise, Maynard. Likewise, um, man. I'm glad we finally connected. I know we had some uh, scheduling issues at first, but uh, I think it's well worth it. I really it's all enjoyed good. speaking with you. You're busy. And, and, you know, one time it was like right before Passover and I'm like, oh, man, you know, everything, <laughs> everything is always, but you know what? Everything happens at this proper time because now we get to have this. Yes. You're, you're right in the perfect position, I think. I think it would have been a different conversation we would have had if we would have had it. Uh, oh, for sure. A few for months sure. Ago. I, I, completed it, it, for sure. Right. We're in the throes of COVID. Things are trying to open up a little bit. So yes, it's a different conversation. So it's, it's more timely. And uh, I, uh, I applaud your efforts and uh, bringing people together and uh, having them discuss uh, for, for those that are, that are want to listen. So thank you. Thank you, Galen. Now, as we close, you know, how can we just find out more about you, connect with you, um, sure. everything else like that? Um, you know, uh, sure. Uh, LinkedIn. Uh, you can always catch me on LinkedIn. Galen Williams, G-A-L-E-N, last name Williams. Uh, uh, I do get to them eventually. Uh, if you give a shout out and say, hey, you saw me on, on the Maynard show, I'll, uh, I'll move you up in the queue and I will respond, I promise. Sweet, again, you're the man. Really, <laughs> really appreciate it. This has been so much fun. And uh, so thanks for jumping on with me today. And thanks everybody, uh, wherever you are listening. Uh, you know, really great one. So good luck to you, Galen, the rest of 2020. Thank you, Mayor. Will do. Thanks for listening in to Dank Discussions, and we are so grateful for each and every one of you. We want to continue making dank content you want, so give us some feedback about the topics you want covered. 
feel free to reach out to us at grow at calican.com. That's C-A-L-A-C-A-N-N.com. And follow us on Instagram for our latest updates.